Churches seem to have issues with the story of the rich young man. It is difficult to know for sure what it is teaching, though most of us do assume it is not friendly to the very wealthy. Scripture makes it clear this person is a moral human being. He is well behaved, obedient to his parents and obedient to the teachings of God. How much of his claims were true and how much of what he said was inflated cannot be known. Certainly, he seems to have been serious about what he said. The problem he had, and it seemed that this was the only problem he had, was that he owned a considerable fortune, and it was something he did not wish to get rid of. This is where faith comes into play. He obviously found poverty a problematical situation. This suggests a lack of trust in Jesus. The rich young man had more confidence in the power of wealth than the power of Jesus. Poverty represented an exposure to risk he could not see himself tolerating. The rich young man could give to the poor, so long as only his surplus was impacted. Nothing he did changed his circumstances. No risk was created by his actions. However, divesting himself of his principle was a different matter. It was not so much he mistrusted Jesus. The rich young man mistrusted those to whom he would have distributed his principle. He did not believe they would help him when he was in need. Why give away his wealth when he had every reason to believe no one whom he helped would help him at some future date, had he need of their help? This is the same reason why we contract with insurance companies. We do not trust our neighbors to be forthcoming with assistance when needed. Our own experience suggests the youth had every right to be mistrustful of other people's generosity. But then we are confronted by the same paradox that confronted him. If we are not ready to divest ourselves of what we have, why would others give up what they have? Perhaps we are right to be doubtful others will help us in our time of need. We buy insurance because we do not expect people to come to our aid if we lose our house or car. In the case of the rich young man, he had Jesus looking out for his interests. But what would happen to us in this world if we sold everything and gave the proceeds to the poor? How would we feed and clothe and shelter ourselves? How would the rich young man care for his dependents had he followed Jesus' advice? One can speculate. But if we dare not follow Jesus on this, why condemn the young man? Scripture tells us to have faith, but it also tells us the man that does not care for his own, especially those of his own family, is worse than an infidel. This appears an odd juxtaposition of advice. In a community where resources are scarce, the poor person may have better access to goods and services than a rich man who has no connections. Capitalists preach delayed gratification and self-reliance, but this only goes so far. Few people are able to provide for anything beyond their daily needs. Those who achieve higher levels of wealth often pay a high cost socially. As scripture tells us, it is difficult for a rich man to enter heaven. The story of the rich young man leaves us with many questions unanswered. We may agree with the idea of divesting ourselves of assets but reject it as doable under the present regime. Perhaps the problem is not the story but the context. To live according to the word of God we need to establish the church. Adhering to the teachings contained in the story of the rich young man is only one part of the problem. Implementing the advice of Jesus requires we come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We are the church. To build the church is to better us as a fellowship. We do this at the expense of the world. For too long we have been unequally yoked to the unbeliever. 
the church has represented stability and reliability to the world. While the world represents a growing burden to us, Scripture promises where two or three are gathered in his name there will he be also. The church is not built through ecclesiastical compromise. Building the church is a work done in faith, in fact it is the fruit of our works done in faith. We cannot have faith in Christ if we do not have faith in each other. The church is insurance against unforeseen events. If we have three people who come together to build the church, we have three people we can rely on. Acts 2 verses 43-47 And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What did the writers mean, here? We know what we mean when we say property is held in common. What did the early Christians think when they heard these words? What is meant by, they shared these goods to all men as every man had need? It is said the early church broke bread from house to house. There were houses. There was a way for resources to be concentrated at these homes. This was where the members could come to eat. What was going on between meals? Where did members stay? What did they do? Did they congregate to learn scripture? Were they preaching or praising God and taking meals at prepared locations? Did they wander the streets or amass at local synagogues? The passage says, All that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. Did they eventually run out of possessions to sell? At some point the process petered out and they reverted back to the ways of the world. The established churches did not arise until about the 4th century AD. Until that time believers met in houses and rented halls or public spaces. The point we are making here is that we are in the world and the church must have a financial vehicle or legal framework that allows for owning things in common. It's not likely that everyone's name would be added to deeds. Perhaps these deeds were given into an elder's hands. Or is it just that the owners of property ceased to see their property as something that existed for their own personal benefit? Would many have sold their homes or draft animals, or boats used for fishing or trade? Would this make sense? Surplus land and houses would be sold if such a thing existed. Even so, there had to be some way to bring order and predictability to the selling and distribution of the common goods. When Jesus instructed the rich young man to sell all he had, the young man, like the people today, was scared. He had faith in Jesus, but he lacked faith in people. Subsistence cultures have a sense of common ownership. A kill is shared among those to whom the hunter owes loyalty and those who are most likely to assist him, should he or his family find themselves in need. The network of mutual obligations serves as a form of insurance. In ancient communities, one's insurance was one's neighbor's willingness to help. It did not make sense to alienate oneself from one's neighbors by breaking trust with them. When two or three gather in the name of Jesus they form a social network. This is the beginning of forming a social network. When we have faith, we have faith in Christ working in and through us. Faith translates into works because if we trust God in the way we ought we have faith in the members of the church and work to build up the church. 
the members of the church form a single identity and become one. Just as married couples become a single identity and hold all things in common. The church adopts this same kind of organization. The church becomes one owner. Most churches are already registered as a not-for-profit or charity. The church is authorized to establish missions for charitable purposes. Works of faith build the church, which is in this context, the fruit of the Spirit. Members commit acts of faith by donating commercial assets to the mission established for this purpose. Each volunteer has his or her contribution deposited to an account issued by the charitable mission. Credits and debits are recorded as preferred share units or prefers. Donations can be in the form of labor or commercial assets. The value of the donation is recorded in the member's account as a credit. When purchases are made the member's account is debited. In this way members can divest themselves of commercial property yet have access to the capital they need to provide for themselves and their family. If fiat currency is required, the church sells bonds for units of fiat currency and exchanges prefers into fiat currency units for the use of the member.